0: Our scripture reading for today is 1 Timothy 1, 1 1-7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myth, endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussions desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back. Thank you for praying for me and my family while I went to uh, my grandma's funeral and led that. And it went well, all things considered. And I'm grateful to be back. I just love uh, this church. I love the church. And it's great to be. It it's truly is great to be with you. And so this morning, as we look at this text, I'm curious how you would answer the question, why are you here? Now, for some of you, you might just be visiting, visiting family, visiting town. Maybe It's first time here. And for others, this is home for you. This is your home church. For some, maybe this is what you did growing up. Every Sunday, you were in church. And so that's why you're here. This is this, the practice that you do Sunday mornings. Now, um, don't get me wrong. You might hear that question. And I uh, think that uh, I you know, want to have, you have to have a specific answer. I, to be honest, I'm just glad you're here. Whatever your answer is to why are you here. But here's a follow-up question. What is here? What do we mean by that word? Why are you here? Which, I mean, you might like intuitively be like, well, I'm sitting here listening to you ask weird questions um, is what that here means which uh, is, is true, but here's the thing. What exactly is happening here? It's not every day. You walk into a group of people who are singing songs together, and then someone comes and opens up a Bible and talks for 30 to 40 minutes, and then we share a meal called the Lord's Supper, and you hear all these words like baptism and membership and elders and pastors. So what exactly is going on here? Like what? what are we doing here? So why are you here? But what is happening here? And if you were here last week, uh, you might know or you watched online because the snow buried Boise in inches of snow while I was in Arizona and it was 60 degrees. And you guys were like, should we cancel? Well, I'm in a hot tub right now. Um, but y'all made it through. But Andrew introduced uh, First Tooth, our new series, which among... Um, Other questions seeks to answer some of those questions because at the heart of this series and at the heart of the book is this, maybe this question, what is the church and what does it do and how ought it behave and be? But the, you know, this question, what is the church? It's one of the heartbeats behind this series. Now, this, this moment, this Sunday gathering, you might be accustomed to calling this church. Well, this is one of the moments in which the church gathers. But there's far more to the church than this moment right now. There's more, it's not simply a Sunday event. The church certainly isn't a building, it's a people. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk more about this people. Specifically, we're going to talk about what the local church is versus what many have called the universal church, or you might have heard it like the little C church and the big C church. So we're going to talk about that. And what we're doing is as we work through the book of first Timothy, some Sundays we pause and we grab a keyword or a phrase and we go a little bit deeper and we kind of dig out all the implications of those uh, few words. And so that's this Sunday. And so that's what we're going to do. We're mainly going to focus on verse three and we're going to focus on two key words in verse three. But before we do that, I'd love to pray one more time and then we'll get the text together. Father, it's no small thing that we're gathered. People of God gathered together. What a gift that came at the cost of your son and giving his life. Would we be reminded this is no small thing and that you have designed and gifted us, the church adopted us into it for the very sake of our joy. Uh, Help us, Father, to see rightly your word, to apply it rightly, and to know and treasure you more. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's do this. Let's go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy. We're going to go, we'll read the first few sentences together so we can get some context to what's happening. But we'll focus again on two key words, Macedonia and Ephesus. Those are our key words, and so let's read this up together. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So um, just to make this clear, the main point of this paragraph and the next paragraph is not Macedonia and Ephesus. Which is why we're going to come right back to this paragraph next week. And we're going to dig into the call for Timothy to remain in Ephesus in order to charge people not to teach false doctrine. That's the main point. That's not the main point of this text. So we're doing a a deep dive into all the, maybe not all, to many of the implications on these two words Macedonia and Ephesus in order that we might Uh, meet um, the universal church as we journey to Macedonia, and then we're going to come back to Ephesus. We're going to zoom in, and we're going to meet the local church. And we, um, as a church, when we're going through 1 Timothy, we said we think there are key moments when we want to dig in a little deeper, pause, take a little topical aside, if you will, but try to dig in and dig into this text and some other passages to help us wrap around what we think the Bible means when it talks about the church. So here's what we're going to do. We'll put on our backpacks and we're going to go to Macedonia. We're going to meet the universal church there. So let's do it. Let's go there. Now, um, when you, you see in this text, Paul says, as I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, he doesn't actually say why he's going to Macedonia. We don't know why. I do think that the letter was written late enough that Paul had already gone to Macedonia. That what it's, 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 um, it's in Acts and he has this dream to go to Macedonia. And as this happens, a couple churches are planted. The church in uh, the Philippian church, the church in Thessalonica, that's definitely right in the heart of Macedonia. So let's just take, for example, this church in Thessalonica. Okay, that's in Macedonia, which is far away from um, Ephesus. So there's a church in Thessalonica, there's a church in Ephesus, which means there are two different churches. In two different locations, which probably feels pretty obvious. And you might be like, why are you making a big deal of that? That's true. That is pretty obvious. Um, But here would be the question. Are the, the people in this church in Macedonia, in Thessalonica, and the people of the church of Ephesus, are they a part of the same church? That's the question. Which you're probably like, well, uh, no. You just said there were two different churches at two different locations, Macedonia and Ephesus. And you're right. They're not a part of the same church. There's one in Thessalonica. There's one here. Yet at the same time, the Bible says they are a part of the same church. So you're left with um, they are a part of two different churches and yet a part of the same church. And how's that possible? Enter in the terminologies universal church versus local church. Now the the idea of a local church probably feels pretty intuitive. You're at one on the map and you can go and visit it. So then what then is the universal church? That's the first question. What's the universal church? And here's, here's what it is. It's God's people. From whatever time period, in whatever location, it's all of those people, all who trust in Jesus as their Savior, who are a part of the family of God. Anywhere, everywhere, all the time, any era, those people, when you group them all together, they have a name. That name, the church. Or, to be maybe more specific, the universal church. Or, to use other Bible language, they're the people of God. So... It doesn't, here's, it, do, it doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter if you're in the 1500s. It wouldn't matter if you're in Boise. Right now, 21st century, all of those people are part of the universal church, the big C church. So let's go to another place where it's made really clear. Here's First Peter. Letter from Peter, chapter 2, pick up in verse 9. I think you'll see this. But you, believer, and it's just referred earlier. You believer are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. It is marvelous light. Now here, here, listen to this part. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So this text, I mean, it is full of some incredible, Incredible truths, like this dividing wall between Gentiles and Jews being broken down, this idea of covenant that's gone throughout all of Scripture, and now the new covenant that brings and establishes a new people of God. But we just got to simplify for today, because we can't get into all that. That's why we're doing six months on some of this stuff. Here's, here's a simple way to say it, using the words of our text. When you were saved, when you trusted in Christ, you became a part of a new family. That's the words of the text. You were not a people. And this is stunning. You weren't a people. And now you are. Not by your own works. Not what you did. You, you're adopted into a family. That's that's what that's what that means. And it includes this family. Includes Martin Luther. By the way, we sang one of his songs this morning. Uh, Mighty Fortress is what it's called. So Martin Luther, and it includes a believer today in the middle of Uganda. As well, I mean, somewhat two hundred years ago in France, like, if they're treasuring Jesus as their savior, you're part of the same family. That's the universal church. Now, this this isn't a throwaway idea for us. It it is meaningful. Why? Why is that? Why would this matter? Why spend a sermon on the universal church and, and the local church? Well, um, here's one reason. This means that you and I and Table Rock Church are. First, a part of a bigger family. We are first a part of a larger church, the universal church. And that means something pretty significant for how we think about what it means for us, the gathered people of God to be the church. What does that mean? Well, it means that, take one gathering that we have, the Sunday morning gathering, church is gathered. We are not trying to be novel. We're not trying to do something new. We're we're not trying to be some fancy 21st century express. We are joining in with believers for century after century who've met on Sunday mornings to gather or Sundays to gather in order to uh, praise God. And so it's one of, here'd be a concrete way to say it, it's one of the reasons that we are a confessional church. So we affirm things like the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. And what we're doing is we're linking arms with believers that have come before us. And, and we're, we're using and, and benefiting and gaining and joining and tried and tested phrases and words and confessions. And we're joining them. And, and so, in fact, you heard this morning, Andrew prayed uh, a prayer from, I mean, hundreds of years ago. You can combine Andrew and I the age and times by three. And that prayer's older than that. And uh, it came from Thomas Kramer in the the Common Book of Prayer. Because we're not, like, we're not trying to invent something. We're trying to be, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be a faithful expression of the local church in the 21st century. And so, by remembering that we, individually, and then corporately Table Rock Church, are a part of the universal church, it means, sure, we can be, like, in our moment in the 21st century and have a piano and a drum set. We can be, like, today. But yet, we... We would be foolish to disregard the universal church, the saints who have come before us, believers across the ocean. We would be fools to think we just gotta just be our own little pocket and forget about everyone else. We're one small subset, which is why, in our statement of faith, actually, we talk about universal church because it's important to us. We like here's what they say: we believe. In the universal church, a living spiritual body of which Christ is the head and all, all regenerate persons are members. And then just in case it was like, oh, that's interesting. You put it in the statement of faith. Well, we go on to clarify even more in our elder affirmation of faith, which is an affirmation of faith that the elders, the leaders of Table Rock Church must affirm, and it goes in more depth. Here's what we say: We believe in one universal church composed of all those in every time and place who are chosen in Christ and united in him through faith by the spirit in one body with Christ himself as the all supplying, all sustaining, all supreme, and all authoritative head. We took an affirmation of faith from Bethlehem Baptist. And if you've listened to John Piper, you know, he hyphenates, he hyphenates a cereal. Um, it, and, uh, but it's good, but that's, this is, this matters to us. That we're part of the universal church and we clarify how do you become a part of the universal church well you're chosen you're adopted by christ you're adopted into the family of god you don't have to sign a paper you don't have to go down the courthouse get the judge to say you're a part of this you don't have to pay a membership fee what do you have to do believe in jesus and you're welcomed in to the family of god the universal church so one last thing there's plenty more to say but i'll just say one last thing the universal church is also what will go on for all eternity so one day When Christ returns, the universal church will have its first gathering and people from every tribe, tongue, nation, era will all gather around the throne and sing praises. And we'll all be part of the universal church forever. So you're adopted into the universal church, but then you seek out, you find, you gather today With the local church. So yes, one day the universal church will gather. But if you've noticed, it doesn't gather today. That would be impossible. It would be great to gather with Martin Luther today. But we can't. That day will come. Okay, so then the local church. The local church. It's in your community. Um, So we're going to put our backpacks on now. Again, we're going to go from Macedonia, where we met, the Philippian church, and the church in the Thessalonica. Let's go back to Ephesus, where Timothy had to be. And let's talk about the universal, not the universal church, but now the local church. So let's go back. We'll go back to our text. Okay, this is 1 Timothy, verse 3. As I urged you, that, that's Timothy. As I urged you, Timothy, when I, when I, Paul, was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Okay, so just notice a couple things. Paul is writing to a very specific person, Timothy. He was one of the pastors of this people of God, being the church, the church of Ephesus, specific location. And there are more people than just Timothy there. There's these group of people, and in fact, Timothy needs to care for them by defending against false teaching and upholding right teaching. So specific people and a specific location, meaning at a specific time, specific leaders and pastors and members. That would be then the local church so uh, let's go to let's go one more text where i think uh, you'll see these two together so it kind of you can see it in the matter of a couple paragraphs so we can see the universal versus the local so we're going to go to a letter that paul wrote to another church this time he's writing to a church in corinth the corinthian church it's the first letter he wrote so first corinthians we'll first see him talking about the universal church in twelve 28 first corinthians twelve twenty-eight. here's what he says and god has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Okay. Now, he's writing to the Corinthian church. God has appointed in the church. Now he he doesn't mean that God has given the apostles and prophets and teachers only to the Corinthian church. No, he's God's given that to all of the churches. All the churches have the apostles teaching. We have much of it right here in the Bible. Churches have teachers and healings and miracles, all of them. Not not just the Corinthian church. Do you see that this idea of the church is the universal church, big C churches everywhere have this, but yet just a couple paragraphs earlier. This is what Paul says. This is now first Corinthians 11, 18. See if you can hear it for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Okay. So you, you could talk about the universal church in the, Local church, this way. There's the church, broad, and then there's a church. And when that church was gathering, happened to be in Corinth, they were divided about things. You see, universal, local, all captured in this one spot. Now, uh, you might have guessed then that we also, in our statements of faith, affirm the local church. So we go on. We talked about the universal church. Here's the sentence right after this. We believe in the local church. Which is consisting of a company of believers united in Jesus, baptized and associated together for worship, work, discipleship, and fellowship. And then, of course, um, is that the same slide? Yeah, here we go. Of course, then we've got this. This is our Elder Affirmation of Faith, which, after talking about the Universal Church, says this We believe it is God's will that the Universal Church find expression in local churches. Okay, so here's another way to get at what we're talking about. If the universal church is the family of God and you're adopted in this family, then the local church, it's a little subset, a little family reunion. You've got the big family, and then you've got all these little family reunions that are happening all over the world at different times. But anyone this side of heaven knows that family reunions can be a little awkward hairy and a little uh, sometimes they get a lot of control I mean every you know every family's got that one uncle who always tells that same story when he went to England and he got lost and you know he's clearly alive now but he's getting reti- every you know every time and then you've got that cousin every Thanksgiving injures his knee you know trying to relive the glory years of high school football and and then you know you've got the bickering uh, and, and the harsh words, and it's family, and they kind of know how to jab you. And so it is a family reunion, and like admittedly, it's an imperfect analogy, but I think if you're following, you just imagine, okay, the local church. A local church, likewise, is going to have some warts, messiness. It's going to have that one guy who loves to talk about the end times, and it's going to have, you know, this awkwardness of like, we are in church every day and I got nothing in common with that guy. Um, Or the hard words that hurt. And the offense. And the things that didn't go well. Like that's going to happen in the local church. It's messy. So if you picture the people of God as sheep, here's the reality. Sometimes the sheep bite each other. I mean, the example. Sometimes the shepherds who have the staff are trying to lead the sheep, and they make unwise choices. Instead of gently leading the sheep, they just accidentally, just, you know, hit them with the staff. It was unintentional. And now the sheep are hurt, and they're trying to bite you back, and it's just messy. Well, family reunion, Happened at all. Now it's messy, and here's what we believe: we believe that God not only calls and welcomes people into the universal church. He also calls his people to be a part of, sorry, universal and part of the local church. So he says, yes, you need to be a part of the universal church by coming to me, but you also need to be part of the local church. So I'll just say it this way. Like we stand by, this is not a throwaway statement that's on the screen. The elders stand by this statement. We believe it is God's will that the universal church find expression in local churches. It's not optional. It's not an add-on. It's not an afterthought. It's, it's not for the extra spiritual. It is that God's people, if you are a part of the universal church, you don't opt in for the universal church and opt out of the local church. That's not, that's not how this works. You, so this is, here's why you, you can't do this. You cannot say as a part of the universal church, that this is my family. I'm a part of the people of God. That he's adopted me. These are my people. And then turn around and say, I want nothing to do with them. Get them away from me. I'm not going to associate with them. You, you, can't, you can't do that. It doesn't make sense. That, that would be a way to put it. Um, well, the temptation's strong. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Well, one of the reasons is because we can slip into the, this relationship with God. It's just me and Jesus. It's just me and God. And that's what matters. And that's just not true. Here's another way of it. You like, you can't just be a fan. So in sports, you can be a fan, you can be a spectator. You, you you know, take the Yankees. There's Yankee fans all over the world. They've been there for a long time, whether you like that or not. Yankee fans have always existed. since the Yankees started. And uh, as soon as you become a Yankees fan, you join the fan base. It doesn't matter where you live. You can live in Nicaragua. You live here. A hundred years ago. Be in ten years. You join this universal group of Yankees fans. And here's the thing. You actually don't have to do anything besides just, you know, say I'm a fan. You could literally, every Yankees game, just watch it in your living room. And, and no one will bat an eye. And here's the reality. That's not the case with the church. You can't just join the universal church and sit in your living room with just you and Jesus. You actually have to join the team. That would be the idea. You actually got to come and join the church. And here's the thing. Today, 21st century, it is harder than ever. Why? Well, I mean, probably always been hard, but here's one of the reasons. Right now on your phone, you can pull up Spotify and get professionally polished worship music. You can pipe into your living room I mean, I love preaching the word. I love the elders preach here. The reality is, I mean, where's you got sermons out there? We're never getting to be with us. Name anyway, me right in your living room. And you today could open up your phone, and in two days, Amazon Prime will deliver the some of the world's best discipleship materials the Universal Church has ever produced on your doorstep. Two days. So why the local church? Do you need the local church? And he, and here's our answer. Yes, absolutely. Here's how Hebrews would say it. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day gathering. And here's reality. You can't do that on YouTube in your living room. Like you can't gather, meet together, like stir one another up in love. Like you're you're together. You're local. It's in a location. It's the people of God gathering. And so you can't just decide you're going to have living room religion as a Christian. You gotta, you gotta be part of the people of God where you are. So I'll put it this way. I don't, um, think the Bible makes any apologies in saying this truth. A faithful Christian cannot say, I love God and I want nothing to do with his church. You can't say, I am a follower of Jesus. I've been adopted into the family and I want nothing to do with the family. That's just not an option. Now, you might ask, and in your head, you might be saying, but, Don, um, you don't need to be a part of the local church to be saved. Like the thief on the cross, he wasn't a part of the local church. What do you want to, get to do with that? Um, and, you know, God's not going to ask you for your membership card from Table Rock. Which, by the way, we don't do. Sorry, just let me be clear. We don't have cards. Um, and you know what? You're right. You're right. You don't have to be part of the church to be saved. But... I don't think that the only thing a Christian ought to ask is, what must I do to be saved? I think there's, that's an important question. A really important question. What do you need to do to be saved? It's not the only question. Here's another question. What should you do after you're saved? That was like an important question. One of the answers? Join a local church. Be a part of the body of Christ. That's one of the answers. What? what do you do after you're saved? You come together with a group of people. And it doesn't have to be these people. Like you're visiting and you're like, wow, this is you know, uh, heavy recruiting. And that's not my point. My point is the Bible says join with the people of God, whether it's here or somewhere else. The call is that you would be a part of a family reunion wherever you are and be a part of it and um, commit to it. Why? Well, here's one of the reasons. Because, um, yes, one day the universal church will gather. But until that day, look at this text. Gather together, encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near at the stake. In gathering with a local body of believers is your very soul. One of the tools that God has given for you to make it to the end is the people sitting next to you. Like wh- we love to talk about joy. Pursue joy. It's our tagline. Like we love that we're a church that exists to make Disciples. Who delight in Jesus above all things for the joy of all peoples everywhere, especially in Boise. And how do we do that? Well, one of the ways is you join us and become a part of the local church in which pursuing joy happens by other people coming and saying, I want to encourage you. And you do that by with the local body of believers which means that when we gather, here's what it would mean. When we gather this morning, one of the gatherings. this is only one. There's other moments in which the church gathers. There's other things the church does, but this is one of them. We gather on a Sunday morning. It means that on a Sunday morning, we, keyword, we are actually doing something here. And uh, the temptation would be to feel like Uh, Well, the worship team's doing something. I mean, they led the songs. And certainly, you know, the pastors did stuff. Like, Don is definitely doing something. Andrew, you know, did did something. Uh, And and it can be tempting to say, uh, did the rest of us do anything? Yeah. Yeah, the rest of us are doing something. Why? Well, first of all, the church is the gathering of God's people. This is the local family reunion. And this family reunion is as much your family reunion as it is mine. And you're as much a part of this family as I am and as this worship team was and as Andrew is, which means that we, the church, are actually doing something and we're doing something (laughs) together. We're having a shared experience right now in which we sang the same songs. We're hearing the same word preached. We're going to participate in the Lord's Supper together. And then afterwards, here's the other thing, we're going to still be together after the benediction. The church We'll still be gathered. Church doesn't end when the benediction is done. The church is still here. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I I heard it this way. I think it's super helpful. One, it would mean that we ought to act, once this moment ends, like we actually did something together, that something actually happened, and something can continue to happen, even after the last note is played. So... That could mean, like, this is what it could mean, after the service, you turn to the person next to you and say, what did you think about that? Like, like is that what we just heard something together? We just heard the word preached, or we, what did you think about that song? Or uh, how's your week going? And how can I care for you? And can I pray for you right now? Like, this is a moment in which the church is gathered, and we get to be the church, and here would be uh, the worry. The worry would be that after the benediction, we go and we just immediately say, what do you think about the 49ers game? And it, like, it just, we miss that the church is still gathered. It would still be the church. Look, I have no problem with you guys talking about the 49ers game. I'm about the 49ers game. But like, we, oh, we ought to just continue to be the church can continue to be the church even after the benediction and we can continue to, um, live out what does it mean to be the local church when the local church gathers and how should we relate to each other so let me say this let me just close maybe this probably helpful so we got the universal church got the local church and here's how I began asking why are you here now I don't think that you being here is an accident. God, our God, does not make accidents. He doesn't make mistakes. I think there's a God-given, God-reason, like he has orchestrated for you to be here. Why? Why? Well, maybe one of the reasons, it might be that you're here, and for the first time, you're hearing an invitation into the universal church. You're hearing, maybe, like, I, an invitation to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that you would put your trust in him and you would come to him as your savior. And if that's you, if you put your trust in Christ right now, today, this morning, you are immediately adopted into his family. You become a part of the people of God, a part of the universal church. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and you came in and you count yourself as part of the universal church. You might not have used those words, but you consider, I follow Jesus. I love Jesus. Um, I believe in him. I consider myself a part of his people. But you really haven't given the local church a lot of thought. And maybe even unintentionally, you've just neglected it. You just pushed it aside. And so maybe this morning is an invitation for you to consider if there's something that God intends, that God has called and treasured the local church. And maybe this morning then it's just an invitation into the local church does not have to be this church maybe it's just an invitation to the local church or maybe this is your local church maybe this is your home and so this morning is just a good reminder that what we're doing here is we we the church are gathered and it's a reminder that we're doing something here, and we're doing something together and it doesn't end in a village. now what we get to do One of the joys that we get to do when we gather as the church is we get to share a meal together. And so what I want to do is I want to move us to that. I want to move us to the time when we get to share a meal. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. They're going to play some music just as we distribute the elements. But I want to address as we get ready to share this meal, I want to address those three people. If you're here this morning and you're you're not sure, am I part of this universal church? Am I part of this people of God? Am I a believer? If you haven't come and said, I do trust in Jesus Christ as my savior, Here's the thing. I would want you to know you are an honored guest this morning with us. And though the meal that we're about ready to share, it's, it's not a meal for you. We want you to know that we're grateful we're, you are here. And we would love to introduce you to the host of the meal, the king, the one who has provided this meal. And so what we do is we ask, would you let the elements pass? If you're not trusting in Jesus and would you go to Christ for your salvation? Now, if you're here and maybe you're visiting, maybe you're a guest, we want to invite you to share in this meal because we do think that this is a meal that God's people from anywhere and everywhere as they join with the people of God here locally can join in. it. So you don't need to be a member of this church to participate in this meal. You just need to be trusting in Jesus. And so if that's you, would you hold on to uh, the elements and I will come back. I'll lead us um, for uh, taking the communion uh, the Lord's Supper together, so I'll do that. But let me pray, and then they will. The community service will come and pass the elements. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you that you bought the church with your blood, so that this morning, as we don't neglect to meet together, I pray, Father, that we would be encouraged. We would encourage one another. We would know and treasure you above all things. And then, as we share in this meal, we would take heart. To remember that one day this meal will be shared with the Universal Church, with all peoples. And what a joy that we get this little family reunion to share this meal. But yet it makes us hunger and long for the day when we get to share it with you in person, face to face, with all believers. And until then, use this time to sustain our faith until that day. We love you, Father, and we pray all this in your Son's name.